0: Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. My name's Dodge. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years and thrown thousands of parties across the UK. And I'm also the owner of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival. Everyone who knows me knows I love people. Having a laugh and asking lots of questions. So I've been chatting to people with one thing in common. They've all lived eventful lives. This week I'm delving into the eventful life of Brian Wood. Ryan served for 17 years in the British Army and at the Battle of Danny Boy in Iraq. He also led the first bayonet charge in 25 years. He was awarded the Military Cross for his bravery and his life has now been adapted into a book and a BBC drama called Danny Boy. We chat about his lasting horrors and mental strain of war, his pride in serving his country and of course the infamous public inquiry that saw him wrongly accused of war crimes. He's a true hero and a pleasure to talk to. Here he is, Mr. Brian Wood. Woody, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's, uh, I'm really excited by this. Genuine excited. So let's get cracking. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. How did you first get into the Army?
1: Mate, I was destined like so many to be a footballer. And uh, I was with Chelsea, actually at the same time as John Terry. Uh, my dad was serving his country. And it was very difficult for me to make training Tuesdays and Thursdays because my dad was very committed uh, to the military. And then it was just a bit of a nightmare because I was missing training like or I was late and it just didn't fit. So I then got picked up by Reading and then just didn't make the cut. What age were you here? I was 15, so 14 at Chelsea, 15, 16 at Reading, mm. and then wasn't strong enough, released, and then... I just needed to do what my brother at this point was now doing in the military and my dad and uh yeah just go and volunteer my service to this great nation and that's mm. where it all started. Wow.
0: And what did do you did you have the military in the, in your blood do you think from the family?
1: Mate we've got over 300 years unbroken service. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, to this country. And um,
0: that's like four or five. God knows how many generations that is. Oh, it's many, many, many
1: generations. Yeah. You know, my granddad um, was Dunkirk and unfortunately died in Edinburgh Castle because of exposure actually for being in the water too long because Mm -hmm. his selfless commitment was getting everyone else on the boats before him. And he was just in the water far too long and uh, unfortunately passed it, Edinburgh Castle. But yeah, I had a duty, I think to serve my country and uh to keep our name you know sort of embedded in the legacy of of service
0: Mm. and where did you go just explain to me was a certain art it was a certain part of the country you went to
1: i joined i'm I'm scottish believe it or not and my dad uh is from glasgow my mum's from edinburgh my my brother is from edinburgh my sister was born in germany Mm. um through obviously my dad's travels within the military and uh we were stationed down south when we were very young I caught the English accent and uh, thought, do you know what, I'm going to shave my own path. I'm going to join the Hampshire Regiment, which is the Princess of Wales's Royal Regiment, Tigers. And, um, yeah, off I went. Do you know what? I went and done all my interviews on my own, went to the career's office on my own, and um, I had to grow up quite quick. Mm. And, uh, yeah, went off my travels, you know. I, I now can... Relate to my dad leaving me at the, the train station at Liphook to see me off because my son is now in week thirteen for the parachute regiment. Is that right? So yeah, oh, so wow. he's keeping yeah he's um, he's absolutely focused, mm. you know, very robust kid. And but do you know what? I didn't think I was going to get as much emo- well, I Well, I didn't think I was going to get as emotional as I did saying goodbye because I drove him up to to his training uh, up north mm. and uh, dropped him off. His mum was crying the whole way up there because our fa- our family now is never going to be the same again because yeah. he's away now yeah. and it's left a huge void in our family. How
0: old
1: is he? He's seventeen. Okay. And um, you know, cuddling, looking him in the eyes, I've tried to grip my teeth mm. and, and like just kind of got away from it, and which uh, I don't mind showing some emotion I'm money human and it's my son at the end of the day Mm. and do you know what Through, and we'll get into it soon but through what that boy has experienced Mm. the courage to still want to serve after what I went through is a testament to him and his values and it's credit to him and yeah I just think it's brilliant for what he wants to achieve Mm. and like I said he's he's full of determination true grit and he's a motivated individual Mm. so all the best to him yeah it's great
0: and what age were you when you started same, same age. It was. Yeah, 16
1: and nine months I was actually a bit younger than you him. Are.
0: And tell me, tell me through. how old are you today? 40. 40. Tell me your journey.
1: Yeah, so I went into the military at 16 nine
0: months. That's young. Yeah. 16 in Six, the military. Yeah. That's
1: <laughs> and them days yeah. you had to grow up sharpish. Yeah. And um, a lot of character building. Yeah. I was tested in many ways, um, you know, different to kind of my peers who I went to school with they went in their trade or they went to college uni I just said nah I'm gonna go and serve my country and I joined 1997 and yeah it was just an experience it was full of camaraderie teamwork discipline values everything I was already aware of from my dad and my brother I was. I had any, I had a bit of a head start through yeah. that because my dad. Yeah, you know, he's a very strict individual. Um, believe it or not, non-drinker, non-smoker for a Glaswegian. That's to say, for I, a ouija. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's not very many, but very kind-hearted. Yeah. But also, his, he laid the seeds with. You're not entitled to nothing mm. in life. If you want something, you mm. got to work hard for it. Nothing's ever gifted. Yeah. You graft and you work hard. You yeah. learn. You fail, but then you go away and then you redesign what you need to do yeah. to achieve. And that's kind of that it was embedded within me mm-hmm. as a young boy. And I took that into the military, got to my regiment in Canterbury, um, where we were five airborne at the time, and uh, went on my first exercise to America, got to understand what it was like to go away um, on exercise, the intensity, uh, the ownership that you need to to, to take, um, you had to yeah, you know, like I say, grow up quite quick. And then my first operational tour was Kosovo, which was peacekeeping actually in, mm. in two thousand.
0: So what so you were in that you jumped in at the age, let's call it sort of 16, 17. Mm-hmm. When did you go to Kosovo?
1: I went to Kosovo when I was nineteen. Okay. Nineteen then What's twenty. That like? It was just after the Civil War already, so the Albanian Serbians were at it, weren't they? So
0: What were you going there to do?
1: Just peacekeeping, restructure, okay. rebuild, okay. give clear direction and um you know just be that well peacekeeper yeah. and making sure that our the, the hearts and minds are there because children of war i've seen it yeah. a number of times it's really hard it's brutal and yeah. it's just trying to stabilize that and uh but i'd seen some shallow graves when when i was there and opened my eyes up a little bit i'd seen the uh, coffins just constantly coming through the borders and as a young boy mm. i was like like yeah that's mm. a little bit of an imprint and um when I was also that age, I didn't know what that emotion was. It was never spoken about in that organisation. It was I was in an all-male organisation, very red-blooded, alpha male. Yeah. Everyone wanted to be the best version of themselves. You were tested. Yeah. You were always competing every day. Yeah. So to show that kind of... S- it's not weakness but back in the day it, it mm. was maybe looked upon or frowned upon as being weak if yeah. you showed some emotion like that but I'd
0: imagine there'd be a lot of men in there going just man up mate yeah of course Crack it was it. Yeah. get a grip now
1: yeah. why are you slinking away there yeah. we've got focus we've got a mission in yeah. hand and you're thinking well i've just seen that yeah and that's like abnormal so mm. it's going to have an effect on me mm. and that, that, that there was a couple of things that did open my eyes a little bit like i said and um got to understand what it was like to go on operations the intensity the build up to operations and actually when you're out in country and how how hyper vigilant you need to be so from a young age i understood what it took to go on ops and then uh i did two tours of kosovo done 20 uh 2000 sorry 2002 and then 2004 that was it i went on to iraq and it was the most testing in all avenues um that i've ever been tested as a human it was chaos mm. confusion carnage from when we hit the ground in 2004 wow wild it was
0: did you did they say you're going there for a certain amount of time
1: too? so yeah it's always normally six to seven months you're going to be away for we know that but you do pre-deployment training which is our build-up training before you go away on ops the you probably do about five months of that so you're away for about a year mm. from from the family
0: yeah, it's a long time. No, how are you, you communicating with the kids? They miss it. Sat phone.
1: When it works. When it works, I was <laughs> going to say, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: I left my son actually in 2004. He was four weeks old wow. and um, kissed him on the forehead, had my bags on my shoulder. And at this point, we started to get a lot of intel on the leader to us going that it wasn't going to be peacekeeping, it's going to be full on war fighting because all the peace talks had broken down and the main militia leader, Mctardar al Sada, he um called these shores, which are big meetings with the main militia leaders, and that was it. Every coalition force is gonna get hit and they're gonna get hit hard. The Americans were at it in Baghdad and fluja, so on, and we were in Alamara, which was north of Bajra. Oh, the Hornet's nest. Wild. It was wild west. Never ever experienced anything like it. Mm. And that was from landing. As soon as we went in to our camp. Abenadji, the mortars were coming in, the rockets were coming in, and I've never experienced anything kinetic, Mm. anything violent like this. And, uh, yeah, I had to sort of get hold of um, myself, understand what it's going to take for six months to stay alive and to keep my men alive, and I was 23 with a bit of pressure. But you've got to, you know, you're tested in different formats as a soldier and leadership um decision making being inclusive you know all of this is is given to you at a young age and you really have to grab hold of it understand it and then deliver because me personally i like level headed leaders which are infectious i believe yeah and uh they're not shouting they're not screaming because you switch off from that i like to be given clear direction with an end state and how i'm going to achieve it Mm. there's your resources move Mm -hmm. That's what I need. Mm. So I took that on board from a young age, and then that was the leader I was I, I tried to be calm in the moment of chaos. Mm. And I was experiencing that with the other guys
0: from day one. So just tell me, just I want to visualize what was it like day to day? What were you told to do day to day? And where were you sleeping? Where were you eating? And what was that feeling like for you?
1: Yeah, so we were in a a camp which was surrounded by Hesco. which Which is is like uh, these huge baskets massive baskets filled with sand stones just take impacts from like shrapnel when rockets were coming in we were initially in um soft skin accommodation like uh cabins but because of the amount of rockets they had to bring up these iso containers double stack them and have sandbags all at the top Mm. um so if any rockets were coming in it will and we were no air con. Yeah. So we were in Iraq. It was like 80 degree. And the beds that we were sleeping on were these like bastardized bunk beds with wood. Yeah. Oh, it's it's not, I laugh now, but anything funny. <laughs> it was horrendous, proper sweat pouring. <laughs> but if you went for a shower, it was a risk okay. of getting mortared attack. Yeah, so you go out there because the showers outside out they? the block yeah was so it? out yeah run a lot of them are in sh- uh, solar shower cubicles so okay. it's not luxury showers yeah. it's just basically a bag that's been heated in the sun you're in there quick we call it doby quick doby yeah. wash bash and uh, back in accommodation but there wasn't you're either on five minutes you're either on patrols yeah. so you're out of camp yeah. and you're reacting to firefights you're reacting to rocket attacks and and uh, there was no uh, re stabilization at this point because we were just full-on war fighting there was nothing we could get we could grasp because of the intensity then five minutes quick reaction force qrf five minutes qrf 20 minutes qrf and then maybe a bit of rest qrf quick reaction force Mm. so if something happens and there's casualties then you're deployed as a a backup right okay so you're on five minutes where you're just waiting in all your kit so you're sleeping in your kit because you're only five minutes you need to be out vehicles rolling five minutes you've got 20 minutes. You can take your boots off and then rest. You can have your showers, a yeah. bit of food, but it doesn't always work like that because you know flexibility for us is a, a principle of war, and you've always got to remain flexible. Never get um, angry at certain situations because you can't control. There's no point worrying about something you can't control. If yeah. you're sent, you're sent. You've just got to go out and deliver the best that you can do on on whatever mission you've you've been told to do. And day to day was normally it was snap vehicle checkpoints because we were looking um, to interdict on just trafficking of weapons drugs um, ied bomb making kit and also getting a like a, the iris scans thumbprints. so we're trying to build up patterns of players yeah. who are moving in and out the city because yeah. if someone's on our radar then the thumbprints will match yeah. and it's just constant sort of um, intel building up on these players yeah and, uh but it wasn't very often we got to do that because it was just someone was either a casualty i think that our regiment from being there initially for like 14 days we had taken 12% casualties it was so you're always either out fighting
0: 12% casualties of what number yeah.
1: 450
0: so 12% about, of that 450 yeah every day was coming in with casualties that was within a, or-
1: that was within the exper- uh, a, a time frame of a of I would I would probably say two and a half weeks wow. of being in country wow it was just I was exposed early doors to a lot of trauma from seeing my platoon sergeant who I looked up to um, and wanted to imitate because he was such a professional leader yeah. very organized um just a really good egg yeah and and people who served will be able to relate to this you just get the people who can make things happen and he was one of them he got hit by a petrol bomb off um off a mosque roof by a kid and it hit his helmet and uh i was like third person on the scene and he was in the middle of alamara town center on fire screaming oh my God. for someone to help him and, and the water that we had was boiling because of the we had no air con in the vehicles it was just boiling water and then i give him um my morphine which is only 10 mils doesn't really touch the sides yeah. and just seeing skin drop off a human being like that it was like yeah it was carnage but that was one of many situations wow. that i that i'd, I'd been involved in mm. uh, trauma wise mm. you know, the first of may i hope you don't mind me just no kind of,
0: mate what do you carry on yeah
1: first of may um we're actually on a resupply so there was an outstation in the heart of Alamara, which was just getting smashed. It was like hawk's drift. It was every day they were at this building and these boys. Who? The militia. Yeah, the militia. The, were, yeah. Were... So we had a company, uh Y company, which was our support company. Yeah. They were in this outstation called Simic House, yeah. and they had to occupy this outstation. Their task was to do what you can, but you have to remain occupied within that building. It's our footprint. It's our... It's our position of hold. If we lost that, it would have been a massive win for the militia. Right. Okay. But they were fighting horrendously. Well, they wanted every day. it back. Yeah. And they, they do. You lot
0: were all in there. And they said, "Hold on, this is our this is our country. We'll give that back to us. We're going to fight you for it." Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right, it was okay. it was run by the militia. You know, the, the civilian population. And who is the militia? So the the army, they're an army which are um,
0: a legit army or just a made-
1: no. It's not the like of the Iraqi army. It's like right. a, a sort of a a terror uh, organization which want to bring harm on coalition forces, uh, similar to the Taliban and how they they operated in Afghan. So we were forever up against it, and they were under siege. And each time, each day, we had to go in as a company strength. So it's probably about six, seven vehicles. We would move in as one, and in the back of our vehicles, we would have rations, food ammunition, water, batteries, everything to keep them alive and and keep them fighting in this stronghold, we would go and deliver. Wow. So you uh, must have
0: been a target even just going to deliver, right?
1: Well, I'll tell you now. Yeah. So the 1st of May, we were on... What year? 2004. 2004 still? Yeah. Okay. We were on our way in to do this resupply when our vehicle that I was in was hit by two AT4 Soviet Union missiles coming straight for the side. Dodge, I, I tell you now, I was more scared this day than I was going over the top during the Battle of Danny Boy on the 14th of May. But the 1st of May, I've had two rockets come straight through the back. It's taking my breath away. I can't see anything. The panic, the buzzing in my ear because I'm, it's, my ears, eardrums have gone. The confusion. I don't know whether whether I'm dead or alive. If I'm honest, I'm yeah. trying to to not understand the situation i thought we hit a landmine yeah and then the smoke i just remember it being so thick and dense it was horrendous and then it kind of disappeared slightly out of the turret um which is like a big opening where the commander and the gunner sit and that we're in the back and i looked and my platoon commander who is my boss was on the turret floor unresponsive and my gunner was screaming that he's burning and there was a fire in the left-hand side and uh in a bit of panic, I've grabbed hold of the fire extinguisher above the door and I didn't really, it wasn't a traditional like, pulled the handle mm. and it like, sprays out. Yeah. It was like, what's going on? And then the lad opposite me, incredible is Crucifix, in New Zealand lad, he uh, he looked at me, his nose was kind of dangling down because it had been hit with shrapnel and it just took mm. his nose clean and it was mm. just dangling down mm. over his lips and he like moved his thing and said, well, Woody, you need to smash the back of it for it to work and throw it onto the fire because it takes the yeah. the fire off. So I was like, all right. And then, like I said, in a state of panic, I smashed it. But as I smashed it, he was like, but we're not meant to be in here. And I've, I'm committed. I'm too late. So yeah. I smashed the extinguisher because what it does, it just draws all of the oxygen away. Right, and, okay. But we're in there. Right, okay. So it's drawn all our oh, right, oxygen geez. away. Yeah. So thrown it onto the fire, it's taken the fire out straight away. And it, we've just, it's, I can't explain it. It was like someone choked us, yeah. like full-on grasp around our face. I couldn't. I couldn't breathe mm. and even the other lads are looking at me like with their eyes wide open I'm thinking we are done mm. and then I felt my feet wet and I thought my feet are really wet here what's happening and I looked and our diesel tank which is in the back had Jesus. been smashed and split and now it's wow. filling up to diesel up to yeah. my shins now yeah, yeah. and then there's a fire which has just been put on the left I'm thinking we're going to burn to yeah. death I'm screaming at Johnson Bahari we then went on to win the victoria cross mm. which is the biggest accolade for valor yeah. i'm screaming at him johnson just drive get us out of the killing area just drive because i can hear everything outside mm. of the vehicle we were in the biggest ambush ever and i'm screaming i'm choking i'm thinking well, how do i stop choking and then believe it or not years ago i watched a film called backdraft mm. and um it came into my head backdraft soak the rags with water and use that as a filter mm. that's what something told me so okay. i thought okay i'm going to do that yeah. so i got the water out got the rags give it to the guys Irvin was bleeding out really bad like he had he had um a, like a sort of self tourniquet around his grind area to stop because he had hit an artery in his leg and uh like i said crucifix was just opposite me he was nose hanging down with a massive like chunk of shrapnel like a credit card within it still bedded in there and then i had shrapnel to my arm here which I just thought was a super uh, sort of subsurface wound and I have grabbed it but as I pulled it my arm has come up Mm. so I knew it was deep and I Mm. thought "Cool, that's bad and then my face was just riddled with like pebble dash with Mm. shrapnel and uh, the vehicle fired up and managed to get out of this main killing area Mm. and we ended up going to Simic House which was our safe haven which was the you know, our mission anyway, to go and resupply. But on the way down there, we just got battered. And when when the gates at Simic House opened, someone who I have a lot of respect for um, serving opened my back door. And the look on his face told me everything I needed to know. He was like, what is even going on here? There was all sorts, diesel, blood, smoke, burnt, the whole thing. And I was like, that was an average day, Mm. let me tell you. Mm. And uh, there's not very many times i've really been scared for my life but Mm. for sure that was one of them because i wasn't in control of the situation i was relying on johnson to go out and just do what he needed to do to get us to this safe haven yeah and uh about 40 minutes after that that incident the adrenaline started to wear off because it's like that's like an out-of-body experience it's like a drug you can't even buy from anywhere it is like so many people will, will tell you when you're in a firefight you're overwhelmed with this adrenaline, this yeah. this drug that is just like an out of body experience. Mm. Once that run, like thins out, my eyes started to really um, play havoc, and I was like blinking. It was like blinking like glass. I thought oh, I'm going blind, so I started to worry. I said to the lads, I said the lads, my eyes are really bad here. They're, they're, they're really like cause me problems. So I ended up getting flown to Bajra as a as a, um, a priority casualty because my eyesight was deteriorating mm-hmm. really bad and I went there for uh, into the field hospital for five days and I was just one I felt that I was letting my men down because I was now away from them and I was itching to get back up north to be with them because it's it's hard to explain when you're even a young leader you've got responsibility yeah. and you feel that you're letting people down if you're not doing what you're supposed to do on operations mm. and it really ate away at me and so i went to see the doctor and said can i have an eye test because they weren't going to fly me back up until i had this eye test so they'd done this um like basically what it was is all my irises and stuff were really badly deep scratched so i wasn't going blind They were just damaged yeah. but i just couldn't it was I had blurred vision and they weren't going to fly me back up until i completed this eye test mm. so i was always in the doctor's ear every time they checked up on me i said i want to see a doctor i want to see a doctor." Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And he's like, no, no, you're not ready. You're not ready. So day five came. I said, doctor, I said, please. I said, I'm good as gold. I can see 20-20 vision. Mm. And I was like, I was lying. But I wanted to go. And he's like, right, I'll give you an advanced test. If you pass it, you can go. I was like, sweet. So I've gone into this, like, just a normal eye test. You're like, I don't know, 10 meters away from the board. Mm. You put one hand over your eye. Mm. So he's on the left-hand side. And he said, right, put your hand over your left eye. And I was like, oh, here we go. So I needed to, like, basically open my hand, So I was basically mm. looking with both <laughs> eyes, but yeah. just bluffing him. And uh, anyway, he knew, I think he knew what I was up to. Yeah. He passed me and then I was, yeah, straight back, straight back up. Oh. And then...
0: Were you angry at this point?
1: No, I don't think you mm-hmm. have time to... I, I, was, I was hurting because we had lost, you know, Adam Llewellyn as a casualty. There was many more that were, were casualties at this mm. point as well. And i was i wasn't angry i was wanting to make a difference i wanted to you know be supportive of my fellow soldiers i wanted to to help them and because i knew that they were under a lot of pressure and when you are losing men it becomes even harder to achieve you know anything really so i flew back in country and then um a few days later yeah that was when the battle of danny boy happened
0: tell me about the battle of danny boy I watched I watched the uh the drama on yeah. BBC the other night and I was blown away like geez. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that.
1: It was it's a day that will forever be imprinted within me and yeah, everyone else who was there that day. It was it started off like a just another normal day. There'd been a um a, a rocket attack on, on Camp Abernagy. We were sent out as a QRF quick reaction force to interdict the mortar base plate team. And um So we set up a vehicle checkpoint and then we're pulling over every vehicle that either looks suspicious or every fourth vehicle or every fifth vehicle we'll pull over and we'll do a search from inside the vehicle to then out and then occupancy of that vehicle will be searched and the iris and stuff would be taken. And then as I was doing this, I got a call on the radio from my commander, Chris Broom, and uh, he said, Woody, stop what you're doing, collapse the vehicle uh, checkpoint. There's been an incident, and that's all I knew. I said to the boys, right, stop what we're doing. Let them go. We need to get back into this vehicle. Got into the the armoured vehicle that we were in. Got the headset on that. I can speak internally on internal uh, communications with my commander. A bit like this on the headset, actually. So I said, what's going on, Stick? He said, there's been an incident, two casualties from the Argyle and Southern Highlanders from a Scottish regiment, and we've been told to go down and extract them apply first aid and get them off we've got to do that within the golden hour we work with the golden hour basically from point of impact we've got an hour to get them to a specialist field hospital yeah. for the, the the quality of work they, they produce yeah. so that was it we were on the way down route 6 which was the main supply route from Bajra all the way to Baghdad very vulnerable route because yeah. it's only one road in it's like the M25 yeah. it's just one road in one road out really and um, on the way down there well we were hit with um another over violent situation at this point and i'm in the back
0: how I know many men how many men in this vehicle
1: there's the driver gunner commander and then three of us in the back yeah. so this vehicle our vehicle is getting like smashed now and i'm thinking this is not normal we're normally getting we're normally getting hit when we're in the city yeah this is out of the city it's very yeah. random to be hit like this I looked on the map. I thought, I'm sure we're here because you get disorientated in the back. You try and keep up with where you are, but it's difficult sometimes. And I thought, we're not even in the city yet. Definitely not. But I didn't want to get onto my commander's ear because he's got a lot what's going on at the moment. We've just been ambushed. He needs to identify the stronghold, give a fire control order, and then start suppressing and trying to win that firefight and then make a decision. So they were doing that load of noise even in the back where it's quite muffled you can hear the chain gun you can hear the 30 mil giving it big licks and yeah you know, you're in the back and you go through all sorts of emotions you know fear is probably the biggest and it threatens to rip through you and control you yeah. but for me i i've been tested now and i know how i knew how to kind of suppress that fear but also use it to my ability and and in you know my favor and like I said before, it was very, it was very um, important for me to be level-headed. So when things were quite extreme, I would try and be calm in the moment and reassure and, and guide the lads in the back. That's what I was trying to do. But it's difficult because when we've been hit a lot, you know, you're thinking, "Is my is my luck running out?" Yeah. Basically, and then uh, so I'm going through all this emotion. It's like god knows how hot it is in the back it is at boiling point sweat mm-hmm. is pouring off you and then the adrenaline again you're up and down up and down you know, my heart is smashing against my body on my plate thinking this vehicle that i've been in has already been penetrated yeah. by missiles before is it going to look for me now yeah. you don't know it's, this yeah. question has being asked and uh then stick gets on the radio and goes right well, woody we're not having any effect with what we're doing here we need boots on the ground prepare you and your men to dismount and counter this ambush on foot
0: wow so you're jumping out of a vehicle now <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I laugh now but I weren't laughing at the time no. let me tell you yeah and um, I said okay can you repeat that because it's not a word of a command you get told to do yeah. that often and he said yeah we're not having any effect We need boots on the ground prepare you and your men to dismount and launch and I was like, all right, okay. I told the boys in the back, and they looked at me with their emoji eyes like that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, now, this is going to be mad. And you could hear it outside. Yeah, it was lively. And I'm like, okay. So I asked Dick if there was a bit of cover that I could leave this vehicle and go into yeah. to then give myself a bit of planning time because it's. It, I said before, it's disorientating. You're in the back. It's quite dark in there as well. Mm-hmm. It's going to get a little glass little glass window that with condensation and grit you can't see a lot out of it Then you've got the noise which is confusing and i thought if we get it wrong we're going to be dead within seconds so we need to just get to hold in position first relax cigar moment then we plan and then we commit Mm. so he's like yeah when the door opens 11 o'clock there's a ditch go to that that will give you some cover from fire and and cover from view we'll we'll look after you up here with uh, suppressive fire and fire support stand by i told the boys I said all right we're going boys wow yeah i said we're going when that door opens we're going to go hard fast and aggressive to this holding position and then we'll just that will be phase one then we'll figure out what phase two looks like and um i said to stick right okay we're good to go and i, I tell him, man my heart was beating so fast i was going regardless because i think that's a trait of leadership i shouldn't I, i'm not prepared to To ask someone to do something that i'm not prepared to do myself so for me to go first was the right thing it was showing that i back what i've been told we commit and then we'll deal with whatever happens in that position right that was phase one so i said to boys you good and i got their nods they didn't say much Mm. they just looked at me and Mm. just give me the nod and i said stick we're good to go and it was like okay we call it HR, which is on where you're gonna go and launch when they when it's that countdown, we're off. So five, four, and on three, our doors, because they're armored, they're really heavy, it's on a hydraulic system, so mm. you press the button and it opens up quite sharpish. Mm. And I was like five, four, three, and on three it started to open quite quick, and then the bright sun had peered in i was like 11 o'clock 11 o'clock where is it and then bang i saw this prominent scar feature which i knew that was what he was on about and the noise was horrendous it was like i put my head down i looked and then i was like go and i just ran hard fast and aggressive and i tell you what when you watched it and you seen them boys in that film get out and run that's exactly how it was it was carnage yeah and I managed to get into this ditch. I looked to my left hand side and seen the other two lads come into this ditch with me. Yeah. And then we had a bit of a a laugh, if I'm honest. It's a nervous laugh. You're like, oh fuck it. Yeah. This is nuts. Yeah. It's bonfire oh. night. Like, but it's <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Wait, and yeah. I'm having a bit of a laugh at that. The lads are like, yeah. This is wild. Whatever are we doing? And it's like, okay, this is phase one. No one's injured, no one's hurt. Just have a check. Look for sort of blood spots. No, we're all good. Right. Cigar moment you're entitled to that mm. you're entitled to your moment mm. even in the most extreme of pressures yeah it's like all right how do i now get from here and the end stage to take that position and then you just do your estimate so can we go right flanking can we go left flanking or do we just go straight down the middle hard fast and aggressive What well, i just hope no one's shooting at you well we knew they were shooting at us but we need to just be better jesus yeah yeah the enemy position at this point i, had, I hadn't seen so I knew I had to get eyes on to figure it out. So I I, I crawled up and I was like a meerkat. I put my head over and then I could see this, it's called tracer, so the ammunition light up and I saw so much of it, I thought,
0: "Mm, it's
1: a big ask. But I didn't want to say that to the lads. I was like, okay, I've seen it, it's 120 metres away. There looks to be a good amount of militia fighters in there and we were told from the vehicle there was um, around 10 militia. Mm-hmm. Ten to fifteen fighters dug in. But that was a rough estimate and there was three of us at this point. Yeah. And then we we're randomly joined by two other guys. Yeah. One was another commander. We had a conf lab. We discussed the best course of action was to go straight down the middle. And we work in two like two teams, a three and a two. And we just give each for fire support, leapfrog, one foot on the ground and we just go and then roll it up. If we took casualties, we would leave them until the end and then we'll go back and it uh the the casualty extraction once that main position was clear and um yeah i just remember thinking bloody hell this is now looking back it's like what the greatest generation did yeah it was getting up and going over the top across no man's land and Mm. that's what we did and i remember saying to the guys look we go once we commit we don't go back we go forward and then we just keep going and bags of aggression, determination, true grit, desire, and that unstoppableness attitude. And sometimes that big shots like that come in if you have if you display that. And it's just you know, having that courage to commit mm. and uh That's ballsy, right?
0: What you just went through there. Jeez.
1: Yeah. I mean, looking back now, I think I'm lucky to be here having a yeah. chat with you, really. Yeah. And uh um, quick runner. I think I was flat out on a day, I think I was like you so involved on the day, I was off, see you later. But it's not, it's, it's it's to do with tactics as well, it doesn't matter how quick you run, if you work as a team, you achieve much more. Mm. We know that in business, mm. you know, it's not, Absolutely. the individual can do so much, but yeah. you've got to have other people who are better than you around you to, you know, have that end state which yeah. is a lot better and this is the same as the military and even if it's a small team of five, it's still teamwork. Yeah. And that's what we did. We went over the top. My first bound. That was it. We was in a full on engagement then, firing. They moved past so us. So what did you
0: see then? So you've run. You've run 120 meters. Then you landed. What did you see? What was what was going on there?
1: You don't run 120 meters straight away. Yeah. You do it in bounds. So yeah. three of us. We discussed that we we're going to do work in two teams. Yeah. Three of us would move. Probably about 10 meters, we'll get down, we'll start firing. The This lot would then move the two of them okay. past us. They would fire, okay, give us okay. cover, we would fire. So okay, you're like leapfrogging yeah, yeah, yeah. each yeah, other. Yeah. And then we get closer Close. and get closer. 50 meters away, I could start making it out how many they were. Oh, and there was okay. a lot. And then 40 meters, I could start seeing some of the militia fighters withdraw. Yeah. So I'm thinking, we've got a foothold here. Yeah. We're the aggressors now. Yeah. You know, this, if this is our patch, we can do this. And then we get closer 30 meters away. And then as we're just about to go in and roll it all up and basically eliminate any militia fighters who are still fighting, that's what we do. And it's called pairs, pairs, pairs. So as we shout with pairs, pairs, pairs to go in and roll it up, all of a sudden they threw their weapon systems down and surrendered. And it's hard to get right, but lawfare states that you cannot engage anyone who is now got the hands in the air we understand that but it's hard to get right because yeah. when you're fighting for your life and to stay alive yeah. you'll do anything yeah. To, yeah. Stay to stay alive. alive yeah absolutely but we're educated on rule of law we understand in the rules of engagement and we got it right yeah. a lot of confusion initially because there's weaponry everywhere yeah. there's trauma there's militia fighters who've been hit with 30 mil so they're not even together yeah. there is pieces everywhere there's young yeah. fighters there who are dead unresponsive you know, young, gape, fighters. young fighters sort of 16 17 okay. year old fighters okay. there yeah. with gaping holes within yeah. them and i'm seeing this for the first time yeah. this is close and personal yeah. stuff so all of a sudden i'm thinking like, how do i now deal with this and i wanted to get the weapons away from them out of reach because opportunities and i thought right, we need to get them away then there was like loads of trauma around and bodies everywhere and then uh we arrested the militias who had put their hands in the air and uh, we told them, uh, sorry, we separated them from the enemy dead because it's the right thing to do. We blindfolded them with like mine tape and their shemags that they were wearing because we didn't have really in them days. What, have do, they,
0: what do they look like? What were they wearing?
1: Dish dashes. So they're long, dish dashes yeah, with machine guns. Yeah. 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 And with like chest webbing. They had their chest webbing all laid out and stuff with their RPGs. Some had been fired. Some hadn't been fired. It was just, well, it was a punchy day. And we got that, so we managed to then control the situation. I sat down after about fifteen minutes of what this, what was happening, and I had my first drink of water. And I was like everyone who we were gagging for water, yeah. so we had our first drink of water. And the, then my sergeant major turned up out of nowhere, and this shows you in the film as yeah. well. Yeah. And he so, said, "said Woody, is the battlefield clear?" And do you know what? For a split second, I wanted to tell him it was, yeah. but I knew it wasn't. So, Dodge, I needed to be honest with myself and my values that I stood for and my integrity and said, sir, it's not clear. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I saw militia fighters fall back. He said, right, put a fresh magazine on. You and I are going to do a clearance patrol. I was like, who? I thought... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe it. I was like, it out. but if I was going to do a, a clearance patrol with anyone, do it with would have been be yeah. with some major. Okay. What an inspirational leader of man- men man- this man is. Oh, we call him Bug Eye because okay. he's got big eyes is like it? that. <laughs> yeah. But his name's Dave Faulkner. But what an incredible man. Incredible. Um, and, and I had the pleasure of serving a long time with him, mm. really closely with him in Kosovo and then now in Iraq. So I knew how he operated. And we went off to start this, conduct this clearance patrol. Just the two of you? Just the two of us, don't know why that decision was made. I haven't got a clue, mm. especially when we know that there is enemy out there. Yeah. Two of us went forward, and then within about 90 metres, that was it. We were decisive, and in another engagement, Sergeant Major ended up being um off you know, quicker off the mark than the militia who tried to engage him. Eliminated that threat. As I bounded forward, I could basically reach out and tap this mate on the head. That's how close it was. He'd come out from a little um sort of gully with an rpg just about to launch off into my chest space and i you know put you know three or four rounds into him but like i said it was the noise that he made afterwards and the choking and stuff stuck with me for a mm, while because mm. then i just pushed forward and i see him i was like no, he's in a bad way there mm. and then pushed forward <laughs> and um and then i remember saying to myself major we're quite vulnerable just mm. you and i there's militia fighters out here we need to go back mm. and get you know more people on the ground than this because it's just too much yeah. and he's like I agree and then on the way back Dodge well I heard a noise and then I spun round and a flicker in my eye see people and I was like what's going on there two more fighters with weapons they stood up spoke to us they spoke to us in Arabic and I was like I had my weapon just about to engage and mm. they threw their weapons down and then surrendered and there on the way up to them I thought I recognise I recognise you mm. so you asked before what is one of our roles and responsibilities when we go into foreign fields and into country and it is to mentor the iraqi army yeah. and the iraqi police and give them some tuition and some tips what we what, which we use so i'd been doing that on and off while fighting it was only one of the uh, iraqi policemen that i'd been mentoring who would then
0: you're joking no eh?
1: gone up against me i was like and he didn't even care smirked to me Oh. and I just thought Judas man yeah you know that's just they don't care yeah. they do not you can't trust anyone and I was like what are you doing and I was like I can't believe it arrested them two took them back sat down on the bank and had some more water trying to like sort of take all this day in and then uh, there was a command made by our hire, Um like way higher brigade, yeah, generals and you know colonels and so on and so forth that we had to go and collect the bodies now. And that does not happen normally. You leave the bodies in situ and their own will take care of their own.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was like even at twenty three, young Lance Corporal didn't really sit right with me and I thought that shouldn't really be happening.
0: So you had to go and clear up all the body, the dead bodies and where did you put we them? We had to take
1: them where back them? load them onto the vehicles, take mm-hmm. them back to camp. Why? because they thought the main militia leader because it was such a pre-planned attack on coalition forces they thought the main militia leader now was either captured or killed in action it was the hardest thing i've ever had to do taking someone's life yes i'm a frontline soldier i could easily say yeah i punched in destroyed him pun- didn't have care in the world yeah. it has an effect mate yeah. it's when it's close and personal yeah and then you have to go back and pick that young sixteen-year-old up, yeah. and it's a it's a dead weight with all sorts coming out of him, yeah. like holes yeah. and dripping. And It's just horrendous. It just it's going right. to have a lasting effect. Of it and is. I'm only. It I don't care who you are. That is extreme trauma. Yeah. And I'm like now picking this body up, and it, and it, like I said, it, it showed you a small clip in the film loading it on loading these bodies on, in clear bags, parts in clear bags because. Stinking. Hung, Honestly, Punk, yeah. horrend- horrendous, horrendous hour loading these bodies in. And that wasn't, that wasn't even the worst. So what happened is we loaded them all up. Then our Challenger battle tank broke down. So then we had to wait around even longer on this battlefield for recovery to come in and pick them up. It was still red hot. Sun had gone down at this point. It was getting dark. We then managed to get the vehicle fixed. Got in when it was really dark. The big lights were on. Loaded, everyone's running around, getting involved, turned up at the gate. I was covered in blood, covered in blood. Mm. And um, my RSM was a regimental sergeant major who was a big dog. Yeah. And he said to me, right, Woody, ground command your vehicle to the regimental aid post, the doctor's there with the body bags. He's going to give you clear direction. And I was like probably battle shocked at this point. I yeah. was exhausted. I'd seen so much. And I was like, I just want to get this day over with because yeah. it's horrendous. Ground command of the vehicle because it's a tracked armored vehicle and you need to make sure it's done properly. Ground command of the vehicle. The doctor was there. He said, right, well, okay. Get the back door open. This is what needs to happen. First body there, second body there. Any parts over there. And it was just like horrendous. So I said to the boys, right, get the vehicle open. And I said to you before, it's on a hydraulic system. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So the buttons pushed. Nothing. I can't believe it because I know... The only other way to get that door open is for someone to climb through over the dead bodies oh, Jesus. in yeah. the vehicle yeah. and yeah. hang crank it from inside yeah and i can't believe it i said lads listen there's only one way to really deal with this mm. and this is for us to get around this mini circle and do rock scissor paper <laughs> and we did that you know and my driver lost so he put a shemag around his face and i'm we talked we spoke about honking stench yeah I'm I'm talking now that these bodies have been in over maybe two hours at this point. Mm. There was open chest wounds, open stomach wounds, mm. limbs, the clots which are now filled up the back of the vehicle, man, fat, like you name, yeah, um, faeces, you name it. Now I can I could smell it out the armored door, Jeez. and the armored door is like that's bulletproof. It's thick, yeah. right? And I'm yeah. thinking, oh man so my driver's got a shemag around his head head torch on he starts climbing his way through and he's like we're trying to encourage him don't worry he's going mad reaching yeah. it's like all yeah. sorts then he starts to hand crank this door open and he probably got it to about where you can squeeze out sideways and uh, i had screaming loads of screaming i thought he's had a panic attack in there mm. so i was like gone around he's then ran past me shouting he's alive he's alive mm. and i was like, he's alive and i've looked in there in the back He wasn't alive because of the nature of his head wound yeah but he was set up bolt right with his eyes open and it's obviously triggered like something with him and he's gone past me but that incident alone has affected him to this day like really bad he's in like uh, he's been in um some real mental health battles with with what he'd experienced and just uh, can't
0: get in that just can't get that out of his mind yeah
1: wow yeah it's just been really tough and we had to like then take them all out it was a horrendous day horrendous day and then i eventually got to the burns pit where the oil drums were took my kit off and then burnt them and i couldn't care if rockets had come in at that time yeah i was not interested at this point i was just done with it all i managed to go to get the solar shower lent over and then just washed the blood and all the the dust and desert stuff come out and just rolled into the to the you know the, the sort of wasn't even a Plug. It was a man-made Jesus. hole in the ground, just as it dripped off. And I just thought, that's carnage. But we never spoke about it. Dodge. That day was done. The next day, we to they we hosed their the vehicle down. We're back out in the same vehicle when we're finding chunks of skin and all that. Days later, yeah, it was yeah. still the smell was horrendous. Yeah. But we didn't have time to reflect or even talk about that day because we were back out fighting again. Yeah, and that was the 14th, and then the 1st of June, we were at. a a police station broadmoor because we name like so cool how the military do business it's really smart so there are different operations during our big battles in iraq were like battle of waterloo pimlico hammersmith you know all cool underground stations that they were named after and then this prison broadmoor we called it and then we actually had that as an outstation like a qrf quick reaction force location to get to the town quicker to try and have an effect So we were we were occupying this. Rockets started to come back into camp. We were called to go and eliminate the mortar base plate from a, a grid that they'd given us. It's a location that where they were, on the way down there. It was just a huge come on. Um, this is what they do, isn't it? They they know that we're we're going to react to situations, and they know that. And on the way down there, we were battered again. Johnson Bahari was hit pretty much point blank with a rocket propelled grenade unresponsive i was then tasked by my commander again, stick to leave the back of the vehicle under fire me and coops another another lad in in the the vehicle we jumped onto his front of his vehicle looked in there Unresponsive, like a headwind like i've never seen it was really in a Mm. bad way jumped in there grabbed him pulled him out under fire things were tinging away ting ting Mm. like the guns were going it was wild i was just so focused getting him out and um what was really good about Johnson Bahari is a pri- he was a private soldier at the time. So, you know, no rank, just, you know, was a private soldier, had responsibility, was a driver. But what he did in his own time, he taught other people how to drive this armoured 33-ton vehicle just yeah. in case yeah. a situation like this happened. That's great leadership mm, from someone, totally, forward-thinking, yeah. yeah. you know, yeah. worst course of action, and this has now happened. So mm. Coops is like, I can drive this. I said, what do you mean? Because we had to get this vehicle off this, like, Big contact point. I said, what do you mean? He said, Johnson but Harry in his spare time showed us how to drive this. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. So Johnson's in the back with me. I'm trying to keep him alive. I'm hoping for the best that he can drive this vehicle. And i said to Stick, right, let's go. I've got Johnson. He's got a weak pulse. Let's get him away. And he would get back. And I said, we were in Broadmoor. So they had two big sangers with the Hesco, big baskets, either side. But Coop's... Obviously, he could drive it, but he didn't know how wide this vehicle was. So he comes screaming through the main gate, and it is quite narrow. So if you're not a driver of an armored vehicle, you sometimes, yeah. you know, you're gonna clip something. Mm. He had come through, taking the whole side of the Sanger out. <laughs> Mate, he's up there on century He's taken <laughs> him like clean out. Luckily, he was not that badly injured. Yeah. But like, in the moment, adrenaline as yeah. well. He wasn't a driver. He just done it in the moment, hit this Sanger down. That come down, and Johnson. Yeah, flew out, and then the next time I saw Johnson Bahari was at Buckingham Palace when I received the military cross and he received the, um, the Victoria
0: Cross. Wow, so, wow, 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 Woody. Yeah. Jeez, man, this is some story. Tell me what happened. When did you land back home? So I came home a
1: little bit early from the tour ending because they earmarked me for a promotional course and they didn't want me to miss the timeline it would affect my career path so they said it doesn't matter how much we've got going on you've got to go and i was like i pleaded saying no 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 they said no you're going so i was like okay so one i didn't have any decompression either so one minute i'm going fighting like mad in alamara the next day i'm really excited because i left my son when he was you know four weeks old yeah and i'm really excited to see my wife and my son yeah and i've come in through the door and I was like wow I mean so much has changed and I'm trying to then I don't know force myself to be this dad that I hadn't had time to be
0: so you've just just this to me right you've just gone from seeing all this trauma everything you've seen and then you were flown straight back to your family without going anywhere for your mindset yeah what's going for your mind I don't know because I was a young boy if I'm honest I don't know. I was just excited to
1: be home. I then wanted I was desperate to be a dad Mm. and I should have given myself time because Mm. I forced the issue. I wanted to take control. And like women are incredibly resilient. They when you're away, they get on with it, they adapt, they're in their routine, and all of a sudden now I'm back. I now want to take over. I haven't got this bond with my son, right? So I'm trying to feed him he's crying I'm getting frustrated I've yeah. got this anger I've got this raid inside me as well which yeah. I've I've taken from all of this last five six months mm. I've been involved in and I'm like why can't you just be happy with me yeah. in your arms you know why, why are you like this and then I'll take him to bed he'll cry and Lucy would be like she's how they displayed her in the film was remarkable because that's yeah. how she was okay. she was just fiercely loyal all of a sudden I've got a few problems upstairs now yeah. but I've just turned them off because I can self-manage yeah. self-aid there's no such thing as that We have just pushed them down you yeah, su- suppress suppressed the, them. the emotion yeah. you, I call it, me. Yeah. I'll sc- I'll call it scabs I call it scabs right so there'll be scabs and then there'll be one incident or something will trigger something and the scab will be pulled off and mm. it's these emotions that mm. I'll experience I didn't know how to control because so I didn't have a toolkit for it Yeah, and um, and it was just trying to it was it was surviving each day. Quite a hostile, uh, hostile environment that we were in at this point. Lucy was like, "You just
0: need to do something." What, Speak. Yeah. What was your missus thinking? She's obviously seen you as a sweet young lad going yeah. out to <laughs> six months. It
1: ago. was actually her. Yeah. Her, no, Sue, her her mum. You know, God rest their soul. She said, "Brian's different. Mm. He's come home a different person." Yeah. She identified it before Lucy and um but i was like i was a bit embarrassed about the way i was so as soon as that door shut i would try and be bright no one else would know but i was like really hurting inside didn't know how to i didn't know even how to deal with yeah the legacy stuff so i just got on with it and it was just causing chaos and harm across along the way but not really knowing that i was doing that mm. and um yeah it was it was tough and I've done it for years. To a breaking point as well with the family. And then, obviously, the inquiry
0: was announced. So, before you got to the inquiry, did you go to Buckingham Palace and receive an award?
1: Yeah, 2005. Yeah.
0: 2005. What was that award for? The Military Cross I received from the Queen, which was wow. for um,
1: yeah, outstanding bravery and courage. How amazing was that? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was incredible. Other than my marriage to to Lucy. And uh, and my kids being born it without doubt the best you know experience that I've ever experienced. Um, turn up to Buckingham Palace with my my mum and dad, and uh, Lucy was incredible. You know I had a Vauxhall uh, SXI, one point two, and we drove there, and I was in service uniform, and my dad was driving, and he kept he's from Scotland and he gets flustered about the in london the roads and it is it is tough Mm. so he's kept on going in the bus lane i said dad you're going in the bus lane you're going to get fined all the time you're doing it just get off the bus lanes and because he's all agitated and uptight and he's quite a fiery scotsman he's like i'll tell you what you drive i said i will drive i said pull over then i'll drive so we're having a full-blown argument before we get to Buckingham palace (laughs) we've pulled over right randomly horns are going the whole lot i'm in my service dress i've got out the passenger seat he's got out we've done like this loop I've, gotten the, I've had to put the chair back. My mum and Lucy have squeezed it back. can't believe we've had a row. And then I, I've actually drove in with my ammo boots in my car into the gates of Buckingham of Palace. So it's just like little things like that. It's incredible. Went in and the queen pinned my medal on my chest and said, it's not very often I do this. And when you wear it, you wear it with pride. Wow. But then years later, you know, the shadow kind of appeared. And, and Churchill once said, you know, medal... A medal glitters, but it also casts a shadow, and it was case in point for me for what was to come.
0: Mm, wow, wow. Tell me you had that super high there, and then it went into a ridiculous low, wasn't it? Mm. A real super low. Tell me about that. Definitely the hardest battle that I've had to fight, which was to clear my name from
1: allegations of murder, mutilation and mistreatment from Danny Boy, headed up by um, a human rights lawyer, called Phil Shiner Um, it's a a pretty famous case it went on for for years and it ended up being 31 million pounds of taxpayers money and uh, yeah it was just I knew how to be a soldier Dodge right and I was I was given the tools the training to be this soldier to deal with what we were going to be dealing with in foreign fields and how to react but what what wasn't trained for was to fight a harder battle on my home soil to clear my name and to look after my integrity, which were tied to my values, it broke me. It broke me that much that I had to go and seek some professional support.
0: Why would this lawyer go out to create a case like this?
1: Because he believed that these were innocent farmers going about their daily business and we turned up Caused chaos, took them back, some alive back to camp, line up against the wall and just killed them in cold blood and like cut bits and pieces off them and stuff.
0: Well, he was accusing you of doing that. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't accusation of you going into battle and, and bringing 10 men back with you. It was actually after that.
1: Yeah, it was. So their their allegations were that they were innocent farmers yeah. going about their daily business. And we had a, just a full on gun, gunfight with these innocent farmers and then took them took some back alive lined them up against the wall and also massacred them and uh i was like that ain't gonna get traction even how even how i found out about the allegations was through lucy there was a letter delivered i was on my commando course down at um limston to earn my Greenberry and i was like halfway through the course arduous course as well and then i get a, like I look at my phone. There's loads of missed calls. I'm thinking something's wrong with the kids. We phoned her up, and she's like, "There's a letter being delivered," and it states that it's going to be a public inquiry, oh and the allegations are murder, mutilation, mistreatment. And that was it. That was the start of the horrendous roller coaster. Then it went on to panorama. Called who, on whose orders? They made us out to be like horrendous, barbaric killers, and I was thinking, "Oh my god!" Then the press went wild, and I was getting phone calls and what text what messages. What you were talking
0: here? 2009. So this one so when you landed back in two thousand five, you had four years of being a hero and then all of a sudden out of the blue this came. Yeah. It
1: was it was the toughest, toughest everyone will go through some adversity in their life. Hmm. Life is beautiful, but you will have you would have to emotionally negotiate your way through adversity, whether it be in business, yeah. whether it be at home, yeah. personal life, sport, injury, recovery, or whatever. And I know that. I'm not the only person to experience this but you know this was at such a public level that everyone was everyone knew about it the press were putting it on tv it was just like how do i deal with this no one's here no one's supporting me either so the duty of care was zero and i was like i'm getting punished here i don't know how to deal with it
0: my god what was, what, what were you thinking at the time where were you at the time were you at home just watching it on telegram? what on earth is going on or were you in camp or i was what? on that
1: course when i so it was just like flicking in and out of it then I got home and then yeah, I was called into London for interviews after interviews after interview. I couldn't shake the ballot, Danny boy. I couldn't shake it because it was constant, constant. If if Lucy was here now, she would be like, every week there was a file that thick getting sent through of statements asking me to reread, sign, process, reread. Ah, oh oh, it was, it was horrendous to the point. In two thousand and fourteen, I then went into the dock, and I was cross-examined by. These. So this went on for five years? Yeah. yeah, five years, yeah. And then went into the dock, was cross-examined by... And I've got respect for the law profession because they're incredible what they do. They're very clever. They're, they've gone a, they've gone the hard yards to get there. I've got respect for yeah. that. However, what I didn't have respect for is them questioning me and my ability on the battlefield when they have not got any credibility of warfighting. Yeah. They don't understand... The noise, disorientation, the intensity, the decision making—you get it wrong, we're dead. Yeah, they didn't get that. So I'm—they're asking me these questions, which are annoying me and frustrating me. And I'm trying to bring the battlefield into context yeah. in this courtroom. I'm not clever enough to do that, Dodge. I'm yeah. just the soldier who volunteered my service for this nation. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm pleading to these people who've got no idea what it's like yeah. to be on this battlefield. That none of the above had happened. Mm. You know, it's infuriating, but I've been in some pressured situations <laughs> seeing that doctor for three hours, hours pressure. Yeah. But I remember my lawyer said, anything that you trip up on or it takes you by surprise, have a sip of water just to give you that cigar moment. Because I said to you, yeah, cigar. Yeah, again, when you get pressure, yeah. it doesn't matter where you're in and what environment yeah. you're in, you're, you're entitled to your pause two, three and breathe moment. Yeah. And that was mine because what had happened was I, they, had this, they had this photo, and we shouldn't have took the photo. It was poor judgment, and I own up to that. And I speak about that. And it's also shown in what the, is the, the photo film of us. We'd How just many ta- men? We'd, who was there? We're just taking a position, yep. in Danny Boy. Yeah. The POWs were lined up, face to the floor, blindfolded, and we had a we had a photo. Yeah. Bit of a trophy photo, already, yep. And it's bad drills to do, yep. and I've apologized for it. And there's nothing I can do now. It's yep. done. But I didn't know this photo existed. So when I was in the dock, they brought this exhibit one one seven one up. And this is my cigar moment. Yeah. Because I've looked and I'm like God. So I like grabbed this water and well, how am I gonna answer this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just said it's unacceptable. I was honest. Yeah. So that's unacceptable. Play, yeah. And I apologize for that because yeah. that's not how it was. It's the first time I've seen this photo. It's not a trophy photograph, but yeah. it doesn't look great. And I apologize for it. But um that was a that was my hardest fight, without a shadow of a doubt, was to really punch through this like long stretch of challenging times.
0: From I dread to think what your mind was going through for that five years.
1: I needed help, if I'm honest, and I got it. I went and seen someone, Who? And a professional psychologist. Yeah, we sat down, and it was the best thing I'd ever done because we revisited all the trauma yeah you know my second tour of Iraq so I went back out on a second tour of Iraq under allegations and I've done Afghanistan under allegations now looking back I thought well, that's crazy how yeah. they sending me out when I was under allegations yeah, but I yeah. did I went and done a further two tours as a leader as a senior leader as well and my second tour of Iraq I experienced more trauma because it was a quiet tour it was the end What you were talking here we went 2009 so it was the later 2000 latest 2009 we went out second tour of iraq quiet it was us ex-filling from country basically we had done our time yeah. in iraq very quiet and then unfortunately um one of the lads put a weapon in his mouth and pulled the trigger and i was third person on the scene to that and i just couldn't escape trauma it was just constant so then i arrived and you know, that's something I never spoke about when I started re- uh, writing the book. Oh, my God, I couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake the smell of the burning flesh. I couldn't shake what I'd seen. And I thought, oh, this is... Had he just had enough of it? His dad had such a close relationship with his father and he was diagnosed with an illness which was terminal and he couldn't cope with that and be in a way... You know, the thing is, if he had spoke about it, yeah. we could have sent him home yeah. and given compassionate. but it was just too much for him and... Oh, that's
0: hideous, mate. mm it was hideous. So tell me on that day when you were in the court, was that the day that you could have got convicted and put behind bars? No,
1: I wasn't on trial. No, okay. It was it was basically finding out the truth yeah. before it went to a trial okay. stage. Yeah. And um and just before it was gonna be a, a like the judge was gonna make his decision they found that paperwork, which was key evidence, which was all of the militia fighter that were named, were attached to their fighting group. Oh, I know, so but they, <laughs> but the thing is, <laughs> it should have been done a lot sooner. Yeah, but they said it was human error that wow. they shredded it by accident, and they found a photocopy in this, in this, amongst all this evidence that they had to trawl through. But ah, oh, it's just frustrating because. Yeah, it's just like I don't know.
0: Well, you put yourself through all of that. For, t- just tell me what was the what was the motive of the lawyer who took this on on behalf of the Iraqis? Would you was he from that country? No, was he British? He, yeah, British. Yeah. Have you met him? I've seen him. Have you met him
1: since? No, he no? didn't want anything to do with the film. Um, I would have a beer with him, really. Believe it or not, can because set, the thing can is, we set that up. Nah, he. Won't, he's, they won't even do the film. I said let, let's meet for the film. You know, we, what's his name? Phil Shiner. Phil Shiner. Yeah, he was. He would not want anything to do with it. We couldn't even get his story. That Toby Jones played him. Played him remarkable as well, but he didn't want anything to do with that. He won't. Any, I, I would want to know that question because yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Was it? Was it money?
0: Yeah. What was the motive behind?
1: Maybe. That? Was it because he'd done some good work previous with the Bahamutsa inquiry and and trial, which he got to the bottom of, and he was then respected as a human rights lawyer linked to the military. Um, I don't know what his fuel was, but he went wayward on his moral compass, and he was punishing human life. Yeah. Me plus everyone else who was involved in this. How many people were involved in it? Quite a lot. Because anyone who was involved with the bodies were then a part of it. So it was us within battle of danny boy and the many? movement which was probably by the end of it i would say 15 to 20 maybe and then you've got the process of all the prisoners and then the dead yeah. of other people then being involved which could have been 10 15 yeah. so there was there would have been a lot yeah. a lot and uh so it wasn't just me which was like punished mm. with with his actions and it was just a real shame it was it was a shame but I'm not going to kick him when he's down, you know. I'm I'm a man of honour, Dodge, and yeah. you know, there's not. I'm not going to achieve anything by doing that or slating him in the book. I don't even rinse him in the book. Yeah. I just said, you know, there was. It's unfortunate people have that desire to yeah. do some, you know, terrible things, and it's unfortunate because I paid for it. Surely,
0: it must be to do with money for him. I would have thought so. That's what I think. If you're talking a public inquiry of 31 million god knows what percentage he's got from that whatever he was paying be. he
1: was paying middlemen bungs of money as well
0: in istanbul to come up with these
1: allegations right okay
0: yeah wow yeah mate this is some story <laughs> oh man ready isn't it it's um crazy yeah. so then so then when you got you cleared your name when so tell me about the uh tell me about the book double crossed yeah from yourself the story that inspired the bbc drama danny boy that come out last month yeah had huge ratings and it sounds real. it's amazing yeah. tell me the about how did you get things. involved in what happened there tell me that story i
1: wrote my book and um it took me a long time to write it if i'm honest because oh, it was hard it was yeah. cathartic but also yeah. hard when i started writing about other things that i hadn't i'd switched off from yeah resurfaced and but i got it done and then uh shortly after my life rights were optioned but i thought listen that done happen. <laughs> the percentage of a real life story being made into film it only happens to celebrities. Yeah. It doesn't happen to people like me. Yeah. I just, I'm a, I was a young boy which wanted to make a bit of a difference to this country that we yeah. live in. That was it. That's who I am. That's what yeah. I stand for. All of a sudden, they're like, "Yeah, we want to option your life rights." And I was like, <laughs> "Look out! That ain't gonna happen." <laughs> and they did. So we had a big negotiation thing, and yeah, got the producers um, who wanted to work with me. I then spent hours and hours and hours with them, with like this, sharing yeah. content, sharing yeah. images, and sharing everything that I had yeah. from that. And um, and then I was in London working uh, in the office group because that's what I got at the army and worked in London for for a um, in property for a flexible workspace. And uh, I got a phone call when I was in Waterloo. They said, "Can you go to a quiet area?" And I was like, "Yeah." I went to quiet area, and they said, "Brian, just want to let you know that everyone is around the the the, the phone call." at the moment and it's been greenlit. Wow. your story is gonna go to screen and i was wow. like oh, unreal massive respect yeah, to you mate it's crazy what honestly. you've
0: gone through is outrageous to listen to all these stories
1: no but honestly the thing is hey dodge i just i find it hard to to accept it because i know that i'm not the only one to yeah, yeah, be challenged yeah. you know i know that yeah. and it's life is 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 it's adversity yeah. you know it's it's brilliant but it's challenging and yeah but I don't know i'm not good at taking praise, but
0: because yeah. I'm just like one question for you: Have you dealt with all the trauma or have you suppressed some of it?
1: I don't think um I think I have acknowledged it all and spoken about it all it's never it's never gonna go it's It's a battle scar that will remain with me until i I leave this planet but i now have created a toolkit to support me when i'm feeling different emotions which was the best thing i'd ever done by going and seeking some professional help because i got into why i was feeling certain ways why i was being angry why i was feeling you know a bit of anxiety why i was blaming myself sometimes and it's stuff that i really shouldn't have been blaming myself but it just because when you're inundated with negativity it it kind of creeps in sometimes and could i have done better could i have done anything different on the battlefield could i have prevented life all of this i was like my head was in orbit Mm. with it all and uh, when i spoke to a professional it just really it was incredible so i think i've definitely um spoken about everything but it's never going to go away it's going to be there definitely
0: I've gotta say one thing i've got to say a massive massive respect to your wife i know she's stuck by you this whole time yeah you dealing with your emotions that she's had to deal with the emotions of the kids everything that you've gone through without a decompression or coming back from the battlefield straight to your family and then the court case Uh the highs of going to see the queen and being a hero to the lows of those five years what a woman yeah and what a what an amazing set of kids you got. And just to finish this off, I've absolutely blown away by this whole story. And I really hope everyone has really enjoyed this and goes and watch Danny Boy and goes and buys your book, Double Crossed. And I'd just like to say thank you so much for serving our country. and coming here today and telling your story. No, it's been
1: an absolute privilege, Dodge, and thank you. And you've got an incredible setup, yes. by the way. So, uh, a <laughs> good man. Yeah, it's been great. And the weather's cool, so I look forward to getting a bit of <laughs> You're sun. You're a good man, buddy. No, thank you, Massive man. respect to you. Cheers, Dodge. Cheers, fella. Thank you.